Welcome to Feathers in My Hair, a Teen Mom Deep Dive podcast. I'm your host, Liz Bentley. Just a heads up, if you don't want to listen to this, I spend the first 11, like 11 minutes and 30 seconds talking about politics. So if you don't want to hear that, skip to about 11 minutes, 30 seconds. Hi, everyone. How are we? I am good. I voted this morning uh, in Pennsylvania. They don't really have in-person early voting. Well, first of all, I requested a mail-in ballot back when I did the primary vote, which I didn't remember doing in the first place. Um, so I could not vote in person. Theoretically, I could bring my prime or my uh, mail-in ballot vote and hand that to the poll worker and hope that they understand that then I'm allowed to vote, but I decided not to go that route. So I filled out my ballot and I dropped it in the drop box. So that's done. That's good. I went to the um, county officials drop box location because my mom said that I, she was like, I was like, oh, I'm just going to go drop it off at the library by our house because they have an official drop box. And she was like, no, you have to go there. And I was like, okay, I will. And there were a shit ton of people there trying to get, uh, like mail-in ballots so that they could vote right there because Pennsylvania does not have uh, traditional early voting options. Like they don't have where you can just go in person and vote like in Florida and Virginia, but they do have this option that you can get a ballot right there, like a mail-in ballot, fill it out and then drop it in the box. So there were a ton of people there and I accidentally almost waited in line (laughs) (laughs) and thankfully ask somebody and they're like oh no just walk right into the front so there's that um I hope that everybody else has voted I hope that everybody else is voting you know I've talked I don't know if I've talked about on this podcast but just you know I'm not the biggest Joe Biden fan but you know harm reduction we have to do what we have to do anyway something really funny happened I don't think I shared this um in class one day (laughs) In my policy class, we were talking about the election and like having other people vote and like why voting is important. And I shared, I was like, you know, to be honest, I'm pretty over telling people they have to vote and like shaming people into voting for Trump because it didn't work in 2016. And that's how I thought and acted in 2016 that like you had to vote. And if you don't vote against Trump, like that shaming mentality that did not work clearly and uh, my professor is very she's a leftist I really really like her I went to her office hours once for a question and we like talked for an hour we get along really well so I knew that she would understand what I meant but the rest of the class did not understand what I meant and about eight people shared after me and were like well even though Liz said voting isn't is not important One girl was like, I know Liz says that she doesn't care. And I'm like, it's just so funny because, well, one, it's on Zoom, so I can't be like, actually, I didn't fucking say that. I mean, I I could. I could, like, really insist on speaking. But if I was um, in class, I think I would have been a lot ruder. But because it was on Zoom, I just let people, like, I don't care. You want to think that I, I don't think voting is important, like, go ahead. Um, I... It's just so funny, the idea that me, of all people, doesn't care about something. First of all, I deeply care about everything. It's like my life problem. 
I care too much about everything, which is why I have a fucking podcast talking about the show Teen Mom, a show that almost no one still watches in the year 2020 because I still deeply care about this stupid fucking show. I've deeply cared about politics literally since I was in sixth grade during the 2000 election. I went to a very small private school that had 10 kids in a class and we spent that whole fall like tracking the election day by day. Our class split up into Republicans and Democrats. It happened to be five versus five. And on the day of the election, we had a a debate in which I debated the pro-choice stance at 11. (laughs) I mean, credit to my mom for that. Like, and I remember I was going against this kid, Evan. (laughs) I was like, and what would a boy know about abortion? (laughs) Mrs. Mahalik's class. And we had um, on the board, she would like have all of their names written down on what side we were. And we would like. I rem- we talked about SNL all the time um, because the debates that year, remember, like fuzzy money and lockbox? Those were like the big debate terms. I don't know. I've So I and I remember being very frustrated that my non-school friends, which was most of my friends because I went to such a small school, uh, did not care about the election like I did. And most of them genuinely like barely knew who the president was <laughs> or who was running for president. And I just remember being like, I fucking hate kids because that's how I was as a child. And yeah, since then, I have deeply cared about every single election. I vote in every election. <laughs> Where I wanted to say to my classmates, like, hey, did you guys go vote in fall 2019? Or even better, in spring 2019? Because I did. My ass was at the polling place in spring 2019, voting in the primaries for local elections. So obviously, I think voting is important. I'm just over shaming people into voting. Um, now I've been talking about politics for a long time. Sorry. You know, I get feedback that people like don't want me to talk about politics and then feedback that people do. And I get it. Um, I do get it. I have had people say, please stop talking about politics because this is my like break from it. And this is my safe space from it. And I will say, I don't really think that's a fair thing to say to me. Um, I understand. I think it's totally valid if you do not want to hear me talk about politics. Totally. And you know what? Even even today, I'm going to put a timestamp um, when I so when I stop talking about politics because a person did request that. And I think that's a pretty fair request that I stop doing that or that I do that. But it's not a fair request to ask me not to talk about politics. And it's not a fair request for you to prioritize your feelings of this being a non-political space Uh, because you don't want it to be. Because one, this has always been a political podcast. I don't know how many times I have to say this. Like this show is a very political show, the show Teen Mom. I mean, I I know some people don't think that, but I do. It talks about abortion. There's racism in it, as we're going to discuss today, Uh, the socioeconomic stuff. Like, I think this is a very political television show. And I care a lot about politics and I talk a lot about politics and I always have. And I think it's important to use my platform to talk about this. I just do. And I also am kind of incapable of talking about a lot of these topics without bringing my politics into it. So while I think and I understand the idea of just like wanting a place where you do not hear about politics at all, because I feel the same way about stuff like that. I want to make it clear that like I... 
I also feel that way about things. So it's like a totally understandable and valid feeling. I guess I just like my only answer to that is no. Like I'm I'm not going to stop talking about politics. I'm like never going to stop talking about the things that matter. TTM, you know, Taylor and Macy, look, look, I'm talking about Team Mom now. But I'm just not. And we have a really important election. And I just don't know how I could like get up here on this mic and pretend like politics don't matter to me when it shapes every view that I have about this show. You know, almost every single view that I have about this show is shaped by my political beliefs. And this is just who I am. So yeah, like I said, I'm going to put a timestamp in and I guess I will try and do that going forward. If I have, you know, a talk like this, I'm going to put a timestamp in. But I, this is a podcast that I make, right? And as I've said a lot of times, like, I have to make the podcast the way that is enjoyable for me to make the podcast, uh, especially now. Guys, I am, I work full time. I take three grad school classes, which I study and do work for about 20 hours a week. Um, and I do two podcasts. Like, if this is not enjoyable for me, I'm going to stop doing it. And so I'm, that sounds like a threat. That's so, that's not what I mean at all. Like, you guys are going to make me stop doing my podcast. That's not what I mean. What I mean is if I censor myself and I only, like, talk about things based on what I think other people want to hear, then to me, that's not interesting because the point of this podcast is I just have a space to, like, rant into the mic about the show and whatever I want. And it's always why I've talked about personal stuff on the show, even though... <laughs> A lot of my uh, Apple reviews say that they fucking hate me because I talk about my personal stuff, but it's just the show that I want to make. I, you know, I literally had somebody, I don't know if I talked about this, on Patreon leave me a comment being like, hey, can you stop talking about school? It's really annoying. And I was like, well, on Patreon, I really only talk about it for the first like three minutes because I just do an intro and then get into the episode, which I almost always have a guest for. And she was like, I was like, so, you know, you can either like fast forward or unsubscribe because I'm not really sure what to tell you because the show isn't going to change. And she left me a message that concluded in her telling me I'm going to die alone because it's impossible for me to listen to what other people want. (laughs) I swear to God. (laughs) Like she said, you're going to die alone over this, which is so funny. Like how we got from A to B, I'm not totally sure, but we did. So how did I get here? Yeah, what I'm saying is I know a lot of people don't like this style. And the reality is, is I could have a much more popular podcast if I cut down on all my personal shit and cut down on the politics shit and cut down on like the know-it-all shit. And I could have a more successful podcast, but I don't really care about having a successful podcast. I care about having a podcast that I like to do and that enough people enjoy. (laughs) So I don't know. Was this rant unnecessary? Probably. Should I just like cut this whole thing out? Maybe. (laughs) But I'm not going to. And we're going to talk about the show. I did watch 16 and Pregnant this week because I saw... That's funny. I actually just opened my phone to check something and I had an Instagram message telling me that they love that I use my voice my voice to reach out to people and encourage people to vote. 
Okay, what was I talking about? Oh, I did watch 16 and Pregnant because I saw so much talk online about how crazy it was. So I made the effort to watch 16 and Pregnant. I think that's probably what I'm going to do from here on out. If it seems like there's an interesting episode and people are talking about the episode and it seems worth watching, then I'll watch it and I'll talk about it. I don't think this will ever be a like a an in-depth recap. I didn't even take notes on this episode. I'm just going to talk about it. I probably should have taken notes because now I can only remember the girl's name, not a single other name. And I watched it about three hours ago, (laughs) which is why I have to take very detailed notes on Teen Mom or else I just have no memory whatsoever of this show. (laughs) But if it's interesting, I'll talk about it. Last week, the I didn't really hear anything about the episode except for my friend Jess saying that the girl had a Mercedes and that she wanted me to title the episode 18 and Pregnant with a Mercedes. (laughs) That was like the only thing of note. I didn't see anybody else talking about it online. So yeah, I think that will be my plan from here on out. Anyway, did I don't think anything really happened in Teen Mom World this week, especially, you know, last week was just a crazy high as far as drama with the Javi and Kale stuff. And this week has been a pretty, pretty dead week, I guess. I can't think of anything off the top of my head that happened that was particularly interesting. So I guess we'll just start talking about Teen Mom, the show, the reason I have this podcast. Okay, actually, let's start with Leah. I don't know why I just said actually there. So, Leah, I have a lot of empathy for Leah and Corey. And I can understand some of the choices they make as parents. But you guys know I have long rallied against, um, against like, their, their unwillingness to seemingly adapt adapt to the disability that Allie has and to try and make it a bigger part of their life. I have always said that they should be like Leah should be going to support groups. She should be connecting with other moms who have children with muscular dystrophy. I do understand that they live in West Virginia in a rural I the word rural is so hard for my uh speech impediment. It's it is one of the worst words, honestly. A double R word is, it's really, really tough for me. And when I say them, I mean, my speech impediment has been gone for a long time, like for the most part. But because I was trained how to say R's, um, it's not that I have to think about it when I'm saying a word with an R or saying the letter R right now. But when it's a word like rural, I have to slow it down and place my tongue in a certain part in my mouth <laughs> and uh, like really use my my speech pathology, my speech class, my speech class lessons. And yeah, so the word rural is, it, that's a tough one. But you know, Leah lives in West Virginia. I, I do understand that it's very different than living in like a major metropolitan area where there are hundreds of thousands of people that could potentially have the same thing going on as you. But at the same time, Leah has funds and Leah travels a lot. And we saw Leah go to about 15 different conferences for that cult thing she was involved in last year. So we know she has the ability to do this. And also in the age of Facebook, I do understand it's probably hard 
Facebook maybe not may not be an option for her because they are famous. So, okay, I'll take that one away because that might be too hard when you're famous. Although she could make an alias and just not post pictures. I think she could pretty easily do that. But there's just a lot of other people who are in the same position as Leah and Corey. And I feel like Leah and Corey are so isolated from any people who have disabilities besides Allie. And they seem to be like, I don't know if they know any adults that have disabilities. I don't know if they know any adults with muscular dystrophy. I don't, I just, I don't know. Um, And there are adults who have muscular dystrophy. My friend Christian, for example, uh, they, a lot of people with muscular dystrophy either don't develop it until later in life or they do. And they, some of them are able to live long lives. My friend Christian was, I believe, wheelchair bound by he five, um, totally disabled by five and we're 32 now and he still is by all accounts healthy you know like he just is completely disabled from his muscular dystrophy uh, to the point where he can't really speak Uh, but he does great online he's really good at typing he plays a ton of video games like so he has ways to communicate and like there so what I'm I what I'm trying to say is like I wish that I think Leah's, it's like the blind leading the blind, right? When it comes to Allie's wheelchair. And so I have a lot of empathy for that. And I understand the desire to have your child be, quotation, normal. Of course I do. And I think we'd be kidding ourselves if we sat here and we're like, oh my God, how dare she want her child to have a normal childhood? That's so stupid of her. Like, that's ableist and shitty it's just the truth. It is ableist, right? <laughs> it is. But I think it's what every parent wants. Every parent wants their child to have the easiest path in life. And it is really hard for Leah and Corey that Allie does not fit in, like does not have an easy path in front of her. And I have a lot of empathy for that. And I have a lot of empathy for Allie not liking the wheelchair so they don't want to force her in it. By the way, I'm not really going to recap this episode because the only thing interesting to talk about this is that Allie needs to be in her wheelchair. She's being told that she needs to be in her wheelchair most of the time because she's falling a lot and could hurt herself. I guess my thing is, is that one, this is, they've been told this for like five years at this point, you know, like they, (laughs) this is nothing new. I'm not really sure why Leah is acting so startled, I guess, by this. And I need to emphasize this with the point that I want to recognize and say that I am speaking from a totally unqualified position. Not only do I not have children, I do not have a child with a disability. And so the idea of me like sitting here critiquing Leah, I understand is pretty fucked up, but that's also what my show is. And if I didn't talk about that, I'm not really sure how I would do this show at all, you know? So I do want to acknowledge that, though. And if you find that I'm completely wrong and you have a child that has a disability, like, feel free to let me know. Or if you are, I mean, more importantly, if you are a person that has a disability and you grew up with that disability. I mean, I know what it's like to have, obviously, I just talked about my speech impediment. I know what it's like to have learning disabilities. I mean, a lot. I... (laughs) I really know what that's like. So I do understand the non-typical childhood because I I didn't have one as far as education 
Um, I had a really fucking hard time in school to the fact that I had to be pulled out of my school and sent to a different school for four years where I was taught how to do things that other kids just knew how to do instinctively. So I do understand what it's like to have learning disabilities, but I don't understand what it's like to have a physical disability. So I just, I need to acknowledge that. And everything I am saying is just coming from advice I would give if I had a friend come to me and like what I would say that you should do. I think that's like where I'm coming from. But to to act like I understand it all, how it feels would be it would be nuts. So what? with that said, you know, this is the f- fifth-ish year. The girls are 11 now. Dr. Sal has been telling them that Allie needs to use her wheelchair since she was like five. Remember how hard Leah pushed to get that wheelchair? Corey didn't want to have it. Corey has always been even two steps behind Leah when it comes to the muscular dystrophy. Corey's he's never been great at accepting it. Leah's been pretty okay. And Corey's like three steps behind her. So Leah pushed so hard to get that damn wheelchair. And then they just like didn't use it for a while. And every time they go and see Dr. Sal on, which we see on television, he repeatedly says to them, she needs to be in the chair as much as possible. And if she's not in the chair, she needs to be wearing a helmet and knee pads because a fall could be very dangerous. Like, if Allie were to fall and hit her head, like, she could die. And I know that seems dramatic, but at the same time, it's not. Like, there's a reason that we have kids wear helmets on bikes because their chances of, or a skateboard, right? Because their chance of falling is, like, a thousand times more likely on a bike than walking around. But for Allie, her chance of falling walking around is very high. And it's really scary to think that, like, she doesn't have any sort of body protection for that. I know sometimes she'll have knee pads on. I've, I have have seen her sometimes in knee pads. But whoops, I forgot to put in an ad break. So sorry for the weird transition, but we'll be right back. I also get why an 11-year-old doesn't want to wear a helmet walking around. I totally get that. So I... They are in a really hard position. It just is feels a little confusing to me that they are acting so shocked by this news because it's like, well, the audience has known this for quite a while. You know, like we know this. So why do you not know this when you heard all the same things that we heard? Now, on to the topic of Allie not wanting to use her chair. Totally understand absolutely, that's really hard. But once again, this goes back to the idea that if they had started pushing this when Allie was five, it would be much easier um, for her to be 11 and have the wheelchair, I would think. Because usually when it's when it when something is all you know, it can be much easier to accept. And let's be real, like the last thing a girl in sixth grade wants is to have to sit in a wheelchair. And I totally get that. But I think that Leah and Corey really missed the mark by not heavily encouraging it in their home and really making their lives wheelchair accessible. I really think that they messed up with that. And I'm not saying like 
Allie's disability needs to be the center of their lives and the center of their families because it doesn't, because Allie is a person. Her disability does not define her. It doesn't have to be the main thing about her, and it doesn't have to be the thing that their entire family revolves around, and it's the only thing they pay attention to. But I do think they should have been making more of an effort to make it a priority in their family culture, you know, that Allie uses her chair. And we come to find out in this episode that the chair never leaves school now, I guess. Remember at one point it was broken because they were letting Addie ride on the back of it? Like it was treated as a toy, I think, a lot, which is not great. And now we found out she does use the chair at school most of the day, which is great. I was really happy to hear that. But she doesn't use it at home at all, which I guess... During the week, I can maybe understand if all you're doing is like coming home from school and going home and you don't really have a lot, you're not leaving the house. Okay, I can understand that. But for the weekends, I that I can't understand. I really can't understand. Also, the reality is, is that Leah is very rich. <laughs> Leah is quite rich. They could absolutely own three wheelchairs. Are wheelchairs incredibly expenses, expensive? Yes, of course they are. Incredibly incredibly expensive. But Leah is in such a rare position as a parent that has a child that needs a wheelchair that she could actually buy more than one for convenience. And that obviously has not happened. Allie also rides a wheelchair accessible bus. She rides a different bus than Grace. She gets on the wheelchair accessible bus. So theoretically, she should be able to have her chair going back and forth to school every day, or at least Mondays and Fridays, if that's what's needed. She also, um, fuck, I just totally lost my train of thought when it came to that. I, God, I really, oh, okay. <laughs> I know what I wanted to say. Why don't Leah and Corey have uh, wheelchair accessible vans or cars of whatever sort? Why are their cars not wheelchair accessible? You know, like, why? Why does Leah not have a wheelchair accessible van? Why does Corey not have a wheelchair accessible van? This is what I mean by, like, they don't need to make a person, Allie's disability, the center of her life and everybody's life and family life. But at the same time, I feel like if they had normalized it more earlier, this might not be such a hard transition. And I just can't really understand why they did this and, like, why five to six years after your child has been in a chair, like you still don't have a wheelchair accessible car for her, which means that it's like very difficult to bring the van any or to bring the wheelchair anywhere. We've seen them struggling to put it in Leah's car, right? She has that big Tahoe. And um, Allie even says something in this episode, like, I can walk from here to here talking about the car. And it's like, She's thinking about the distance she has to walk in the car. Like, she that's something that she keeps track of, you know? And I just, I don't really get it. I don't get a lot of the choices that they make. I don't get why they don't have Allie involved. Well, they did send her that camp last summer, which was great. I just wonder why it's taken so long for them to do this. It doesn't, I just don't really get it. I don't get why her wheelchair doesn't come home on the weekends. I don't get why Leah is acting so thrown by this news. I mean, I do get that it's upsetting because they are seeing a uh, decline. I totally get that. That is upsetting. 
I guess the surprise of it confuses me a little bit. And I just wish that I've said this before, like, it seems like honestly, the main thing their family focuses around in normal times is cheer, which like, is there anything in their family that is alley focused activity wise that they spend a lot of time doing together as a family? It doesn't seem like it. And I really think that they need to make more of an effort to find out how to successfully raise a child that has a disability. And I think there are a lot of resources out there in 2020 for that. And I think Lee is very fortunate that she's experiencing this as a person with extreme means and like the ability to check all of this information and connect with so many people, which, you know, 20 years ago was not possible. It was much harder. And I wish that Leah and Corey, I'm really only talking about Leah right now because we only see Leah and hear Leah talk about this. But Corey, as I said, has always been way worse about this. So this absolutely goes for Corey too. A hundred percent goes for Corey too. I don't know. It's going to be really hard to get her in her wheelchair full time, I think. And that's understandable. And I wish that they had just normalized it for her earlier. I think that their attitude was always and they it's in this episode. Um, She's talking to Victoria and Victoria says something like, well, we thought she couldn't walk and she walked and basically saying like she's she gets stronger a lot and she always gets back up. And the idea I've heard them say that. Corey said stuff like when she falls, I want her to get back up. Leah says stuff like this too. And the idea of the goal beat my dog is losing her fucking mind right now, which is actually good because Sweet Cookie has been very sick. We're not sure what's wrong with her. They just did a full blood panel this week, but she has barely been moving. It's truly the saddest thing ever. And she does this bark when I leave. That's so pathetic because she doesn't have the energy to bark. And this is the first time I've really heard her lose her mind like this in quite a while. So that's really good, actually. Now she needs to stop because it's annoying me, but it's a good sign. Where was I? I don't know where I was. That dog just, that dog just really interrupted me. Oh, their family views Allie getting stronger as good. And here's the thing. In a perfect world, and like, like I said, it makes sense because instinctively you want your child to have the easiest path in life. And Allie having strength is that easiest path. And so I understand that. What I'm saying is I wish that they would normalize themselves on uh, being a person with disability a little more so that they can understand that being able to do the same things as her sisters is not the only marker for success, you know, and like being being strong is not the only marker for success. And that when you are a person with learning or learning disabilities, talking about myself now, when you are a person with disabilities, like what your goals and your success looks different than a person that doesn't have a disability. And they, there's no moral value on that. You know what I mean? Like, it's just meeting people where they are. And I don't think that the family has done that. So, I mean, I... (laughs) I hope that they get better about this. Also, there was like a weird moment of Addie talking about the baby coming out of Victoria's crotch, which I mean, I guess 
I guess, as I've told you guys, I'm not really enchanted. <laughs> not really enchanted by one little Abby. Okay. And like I said, if you are a person with a disability or you have a child with a disability and you have different opinions on this, love to hear it. Love to have a conversation because I really am not speaking from a place of knowledge. I'm speaking from a place of an unfounded opinion based on my friends that have disabilities and the things that I've talked with them about, which is not even close to the same thing as having a disability or having a child that has a disability. Okay, there we are. Let's talk about Chelsea. It's Watson's third birthday. It's a very cute moment. They sing him happy birthday. They gave Watson a pizza cake and he blows out his candle and then declares I love cake, which was truly, truly wonderful. Then we get a voiceover from Chelsea that says, off camera, Aubrey told me something that happened at the Lynn's and I'm like, gripping my chair, right? I'm like, oh shit. What did she, is she going to tell us? Well, that sounds serious. Holy shit. That sounds really serious. No, they put Adam's phone number in her phone. Apparently Aubrey did not want Adam's phone number in her phone. And so Chelsea is upset about it. Um, I mean, I guess I have to trust Chelsea that this is correct. That what Aubrey is telling her is correct. Um, I don't know how this came up. I don't know. I don't want to say like I don't trust Aubrey, but I do think that Aubrey's in a very hard position where she knows how much Chelsea and Cole hate Adam. You know, she's not stupid. She knows it. She really knows it. And so when Chelsea says like, oh, why is your dad in your phone? And she says, well, the you know, Grandma Donna put it in it. I'm just saying this could be what happened, right? I'm going to give two versions of this conversation. Version one, which is what Chelsea is presenting us, would be she picks Aubrey up and Aubrey goes, Mom, Grandma Donna put my dad's phone number in my phone. And Chelsea says, oh, are are you OK with that? Did you want that? And Aubrey says, no, I really I didn't want it, but I didn't I didn't know what to say. So I let them do it. Option one, totally possible. And that's what Chelsea is presenting this situation to me. Option two is that Chelsea is checking her phone and sees that there is a contact called dad saved in there. And she says, hey, how did you get your dad's number? And Aubrey says, well, Grandma Donna put it in there. And Chelsea says, did you want Grandma Donna to put it in there? And Aubrey says, no, because she knows how much Chelsea hates Adam. I think both of those are very possible. And I don't really want to guess which one it is. Like, because I think if I go with the one that I want it, if I'm being honest with myself, I want it to be the latter scenario because that's, this is disgusting, that that's more drama and more interesting. And I, for some reason, have this weird need to root for Grandma Donna because I feel like she's getting a pretty unfair edit. But at the same time, like... It's very possible that Chelsea is totally presenting this accurately, and I don't want to just assume that she's not because I don't really like Chelsea, (laughs) because I do think Chelsea is a good mom. And even though I do think her opinion of Adam sways stuff that Aubrey says, in the long run, like, I do think it's very possible that it was the first thing that happened. So Chelsea is talking to Cole about this, and this is how the way they talk about it is so weird 
Chelsea's like, she didn't want it. And when you look at all her other contacts, they have heart emoji, heart emoji, star emoji. And when you just look at dad, it just says dad. Like that's her, that's her proof that Aubrey doesn't want her, his phone number. And then Cole says, this was, uh, Cole says, I was hoping to be that contact, but we'll get there. Yikes. That's not great. That is not great. And Chelsea goes, Chelsea actually, (laughs) I think Chelsea uh, was aware of how that was going to be perceived. And so she's like, oh, you're so sensitive. You're so sensitive about this. Basically, like, trying to go back to, like, hero Cole, Cole's perfect, Cole's save the world type of shit. And I, this is not, it's not good. It's not good to say on camera, especially, you know, maybe you say that privately to your wife in, like, where nobody else is around. I think that's fine because that's a natural desire to have, right? Like he raises Aubrey day in and day out and he loves Aubrey very much and she is his daughter and she is the sibling the sibling of his children of his biological children and he would love to adopt her and he wants her last name to just be Debor. Like I I am not doubting for a second that Cole loves Aubrey so much and is absolutely the father figure in her life. So for him to say that to Chelsea, you know, when they're laying in bed talking about their family and he says, I just really wish that she would call me dad because I love her so much and the other kids call me dad and it feels so great and I really wish I could get that from Aubrey. I think that's totally reasonable and appropriate. You know, it's you can tell your spouse things that you wouldn't say out loud or your best friend. If you don't have a spouse, like there are certain things that feeling, I mean, feelings are valid, right? And there, I think there are certain things that are totally reasonable to talk about very privately. And I don't think this was okay to say on camera. I don't think this was right to say for the world to see. Now they are on a reality show. This is their storyline. I do understand that that complicates things. But I think that Cole could easily have been like, like, he just didn't need to say that. He didn't really need to say anything there. They were like, that just could have been left out of the conversation and they would have still been having the same conversation. (sighs) Aubrey loves her dad. They don't want that to be a truth, but it is a truth. As far as we know, Aubrey loves her dad and she loves Cole. But she has a guy that she calls dad. Now, some children call their stepdad and their bio dad, dad both. It just, you know, in the context. And I wouldn't be shocked if, especially as the kids get older, uh, the little kids get older and there are three of them calling Cole dad, that it just becomes a lot more natural for Aubrey to call him dad. I would think a big part of the reason is that she doesn't call him dad is that he came into her life when she was already five, four or five there weren't there wasn't anybody else in the house calling him dad so he was always just Cole and now that Watson is starting to talk and Lane's starting to talk and there'll be the new baby that's probably going to be named Hunter that's what I think it's going to be named which I really like for a girl by the way I love a masculine name on a girl but if all of these kids once they're older are regularly regularly calling Cole dad and he's referred to his dad in conversation because Chelsea you know, up until she had the kids, the little kids, all she would say is like, she wouldn't call Cole dad in a conversation because he wasn't a dad. 
and now he is. So when Chelsea's talking about stuff, she's going to say, well, you know, dad's going to do this and it's just going to become a lot more normalized, I think. So I would not be surprised if Aubrey just starts to call him dad. And I think as long as it's her choice, that's totally appropriate and understandable. And I think, it, you know, the more people that love a child, the better. You know, I love a blended family. I just wish that Cole didn't say this on camera because it's not a fair position to put Aubrey in because the fact is also while I do think she probably will start to call him dad for those reasons I just listed she doesn't have and the fact that like Cole is I don't I it makes him seem very disingenuous in a way because it's like he's doing things for Aubrey to have like the satisfaction of being recognized which I've always kind of felt about him I think he really loves to be the hero and he loves um that he saved Chelsea and I would love to do a psychological study on what it's like to be Cole and just get like thousands of comments every day about how fucking perfect you are and you are like the most perfect person alive and Chelsea and Aubrey are so lucky and would be dead without you like I can't imagine how much of a hero complex that gives someone that's like already naturally inclined to be that way which is what I think is going on here but when I hear him say that I think like ugh, ugh. it just it's like so you do all this stuff so that she'll call you dad I don't know like it just feels inappropriate and disingenuous and I just don't like it and I wish I guess what else was Chelsea gonna say you're so sensitive about that is probably I mean, that's the truth, I guess. And I don't really know what else she would have said, because if she agreed with him, she would have gotten dragged. But like, she doesn't probably want to disagree with him on camera and like fight on camera about this. Also, she wants she wants Aubrey to call Cole dad, right? She wants Adam to die, basically, would be uh, Chelsea's best case scenario is if Adam died and then Cole was the only dad in her life. So she agrees with him. So... I guess you're so sensitive is a good response. But that, once again, it's like, I don't think Cole really has the right to be sensitive about this. Now, I know what I said. I think he has the right to desire this. And I think he has the right to talk with Chelsea about how he desires this and how he would love that to be true. But you don't really get to be sensitive about this because you came in knowing your position. And the idea that Cole is sensitive about Aubrey not calling him dad means that there is pressure on Aubrey to call him dad, right? There is, because this is obviously something that they've talked about previously, and it's obviously something that people in their home is an open desire because they're openly talking about this on camera, and I don't think they even really totally realized how it came across. And I just, I feel like Cole, you know, I get it because he is her dad and he does the everyday duty of being a father. And I totally get that. And I understand that he wants to be called dad. But I think the idea that he feels sensitive about that is inappropriate because he has always just been her stepdad. And that's it. That's always been the case. And he has not adopted Aubrey. And I don't think, I think why it's the difference between a desire and an expectation, I think, is where I am landing. So I think it's fine and valid and normal to have the desire. I think the you're so sensitive line implies that there 
like that it's the expectation because when it's not happening, Cole is let down. And I don't really think that's right. I don't I don't think that's fair to Aubrey, basically. I don't think it's fair to Aubrey that this is on TV, that Cole is sensitive about not being called dad. Because how shitty would that make you feel if you were Aubrey? Now, does Aubrey watch Teen Mom? I'm sure she doesn't. But Aubrey also has her own fucking cell phone now. So she could get on Twitter and watch those fucking clips that MTV puts out easily. Or on Instagram. Like those preview clips. And this could be in a scene. And that... You know, Aubrey's such a little sweetie. She loves Cole so much. We know that. And if I, like, I can't imagine Aubrey hearing that and feeling good about herself. That would probably be really painful because the idea, like, I'm sure Aubrey would be like, oh my God, I'm I'm hurting Cole's feelings by not calling him dad. That's what you're so sensitive implies, that there is an active action being happened not always, obviously, but in this situation, saying you're so sensitive, in my opinion, implies that there is something actively happening to him that is unfair. And that's not the case. And I, I think, if anything, that's unfair to Aubrey. And they just shouldn't say it on camera. You know, share it. It's pillow talk. Well, that no, pillow talk is like sex stuff, right? But it's like private, intimate conversations that you have with your wife and not on camera. So... <sighs> Chelsea also says she's going to go to the lawyer because she is sick of co-parenting, feeling like she's co-parenting with the Lynns and it's just not working anymore. And to that, I say, hallelujah. I started this season ranting about this. The fact that their custody agreement gives Donna a lot of rights (laughs) and she is co-parenting with them and she has been co-parenting with them essentially for Aubrey's whole life. And if she doesn't want that relationship anymore, then she should go to court and end it. And I think that's totally appropriate. I'm glad that Chelsea is taking the initiative. And I totally, I agree with her 100%. Aubrey should have a normal teen relationship with her grandparents. She can still go over there. She can go to church with them a couple times a month. Maybe they meet up for dinner a couple times a month. She spends an occasional Saturday there. Normal kid with their grandparents shit. I totally understand why Chelsea does not want to feel obligated to send Aubrey there once a month, and she does not want to feel like she is co-parenting with Donna. I think that's totally fair, and I, as far as I understand that it happened, they, like, no longer have a court order, and I think that's for the best. It makes the most sense for their family. The arrangement they have with the Lynns right now does not really make sense uh, for their family, and in my opinion, it's not in Aubrey's best interest, um, which... Right. Like child custody should be about the child's best interest. And I think it is in Aubrey's best interest to be able to go over to her grandparents' house when she wants to and not because a court is making her. (laughs) And she should not feel like if she cancels on it, she's like letting her grandmother down and then the weekend has to be rescheduled because she's still owed a weekend. It's just not in Aubrey's best interest. So I'm glad that that's been fixed. And I hope for Aubrey's sake that she can just have a more normal relationship with the Lynns. I also think as Aubrey becomes older, I would expect, I would imagine for Chelsea, there's probably starting to become a big difference in parenting uh, between Donna and Aubrey. I mean, there's always been, but I think with the little kid, look, I know people can have totally different parenting styles. I'm not saying that you can't, but I do think like as a child becomes older, like, your parenting style 
if it's different can become like way, way, way more apparent. Actually, that's not, I'm not saying it correctly, but I do understand that like, you know, when Aubrey's six and she sends Aubrey to the lens, like it's going to be fine. They might tell her no to stuff. They might tell her yes to stuff that I wouldn't. But overall, it's mostly fine. Where with an older kid, there are bigger consequences for those disagreements and those different parenting styles. And that's Chelsea's kid, and she shouldn't have to take the Lynn's uh, opinion into consideration at all. Because they are her grandparents, not her parents. And Adam is a deadbeat who doesn't get a say, and Chelsea should have full control over this. And, you know, she should have full control over who goes in Aubrey's phone. I think that Adam should be in Aubrey's phone. If Aubrey, well, if Aubrey wants it to be there, I think that's fine. I think Grandma Donna should be in her phone. But this is what I mean by like bigger consequences uh, than with the little kids. So yeah, I don't know. I'm glad that they are going to go to court and get it fixed. Okay, Jade. Okay. Is there anybody more awful on this show than Christy? Like, there is, when Christy comes on the screen, I feel angry. Like, it, it it is, I find her upsetting to watch. I find her to be gross in a way that I can't fully, and her husband, but he doesn't talk as much. So I guess I just don't feel this way as much about him. In this episode, I did. But there is just something so awful about her. I think it's the fact that she's awful and a loudmouth. <laughs> So she's real long, real wrong and real loud. And those two com- combinations together are very, very grating. Now, a lot of people say the same thing about me, and that's totally fair. <laughs> but yeah, I hate Christy. I hate Christy so much. And in this episode, Jade's kicking her parents out. She says that they leave the house or they sleep all day. They're up all night doing God knows what, making a ton of noise. They're trying to kick Chloe or wake Chloe up and they've refused to take a drug test. Christy says, I'm an adult. I don't need to take a drug test, which is not correct. If you want to live in somebody's home for free and they want you to take a drug test, you take the drug test. If you're going to pass it, you take the drug test. Sean took the drug test. Why won't they take the drug test? Uh, I think the lack of gratitude when they have absolutely nothing is astounding. Well, it shouldn't be astounding because there are obviously a lot of people are like this, but it's very hard to watch them be so ungrateful for the amount of help that her daughter is giving them. Like, first of all, they're getting paid from MTV, which is probably a huge relief. That dinner they went out to where they looked like they had nice meals was paid for by MTV. And they just, they just don't have any gratitude at all. And they feel, they They act so entitled and it's really grating. And I feel bad for Jade. I do. But Jade is hard to watch as well because Jade just continuously makes the same mistakes, but then like explodes in anger over the mistakes. (laughs) And that's like not a quality I really like in a person. I understand that it's very hard for Jade because I mean... I hate Chrissy this much and she's had to deal with Chrissy her whole fucking life. So I would imagine it's very hard for Jade to 
put boundaries up to separate herself from her parents to learn the lesson that she needs to stop helping her parents because it has never benefited her in any way and learn that it's okay if it if she doesn't help her parents learn that as an adult she gets to have a two-way relationship with her parents where if she is helping them she expects like them to help her equally in different ways you know they can be watching chloe they can be cleaning the house like there are a million things that they could be doing to show gratitude toward jade and they're not doing any of it and jade's response is just like to blow up in anger but it's like what do you expect this has been happening over and over and over again you've only been on tv for two years at this point chloe's two-ish i think in these episodes um You've only been on TV for two years and I've seen you make this mistake about eight times. And it's like, how many times do your parents have to prove you that they cannot live with you? And of course, it's just so much harder when you're actually in the moment to say no. Like that, that's how life works. But when Jade just like flips out about it, I'm like, girl, you did this to yourself. When she just loses her mind and the way that she goes from normal to like really upset actually scares me a little. It's obviously some sort of PTSD reaction. And I I don't mean like going from normal, like calm to upset. It's like her upset is uh, always comes out in anger, like an extreme anger. And I've talked about this before. I think Jade's anger scares me. I think that Jade and Sean probably fight would be my guess, like physically fight. Um, I don't even know, like, if I would say it's abusive because it's, it's in a, I would say it's a toxic relationship and there's probably abuse happening both ways in that relationship, but I wouldn't be surprised if they, like, physically fight one another, uh, when they get into arguments because Jade's angry. She's angry and she gets angry so quick and Sean gets angry and they're screaming and it's just it freaks me out it really freaks me out I get really bad vibes from everybody in Jade's scenes like I like to watch it it's not bad vibes and like I do not want to watch this because they like actively upset me it's bad vibes and like these people this is things are not on track for Jade and her family So she texts Christy that she has to move out by tomorrow and Christy goes to dinner with friends to complain about this. As I said, MTV obviously paid for this dinner. And Christy is complaining that this is all Sean's fault. She says, Sean will be right back in as soon as we leave. They're like, he got caught and we got fucked over. I mean, once again, if they were Sean's drugs, why won't you take the drug test? I think the reality is they all do drugs, including Jade. Somebody mentioned that to me. Somebody commented that on Instagram. Like, part of the reason that Jade is so okay with addicts being around is because she uses a lot of drugs, too. Like, obviously an assumption. Well, not a total assumption, because we've seen that picture of her with white lines and a rolled up bill next to her. (laughs) We've seen that selfie of her. So I I agree with that for sure, because I know that I tolerated my relationship with an addict because I was also using drugs and alcohol like that's the only way that I could tolerate it and I would imagine that's the case for Jade I would guess Jade is more of a partier and can function more and probably just smokes weed every day and then like you know takes a pill every once in a while and drinks a lot every once in a while but for the most part 
is pretty responsible and functions pretty well. You know, she did get her school done. She's seemingly always had jobs. She keeps her shit together as far as I can tell. But I think that would explain like why she's okay with a lot of stuff that she is if she's using with them. Like I can definitely believe that like Jade and Chrissy smoke pot together and like I would imagine that happens. So they are at dinner just like talking shit about Jade (laughs) and Sean because her parents think that this is all Sean's fault because every time they get close to Jade again, Sean comes in and fucks it up. But really, that's not what's happening. What's happening is that when Sean fucks up and isn't around, that's when Jade is much more willing to have her parents around. And that's when Jade will let them move in. And that's when Jade will let them watch Chloe because she needs more help because Sean isn't around. And when Sean comes back around, while he doesn't like her parents and would not like them to be there, it clearly is Jade's decision to have them leave. And I think the reason is, is because she's like, oh, cool, Sean's here now. I don't need them to be here. (laughs) Sean's going to help me with Chloe. And I love Sean and I want to be with Sean. I think that this is just much more a reflection of Jade and Sean's very toxic on and off again relationship and Jade's codependency. And when Sean is out of the picture, she just invites Christy back in. And then when she wants to get back with her boyfriend, she's like, "Okay, bye, which I don't feel bad for Christy that I'm listening to myself talk. And it sounds like I'm saying like poor Christy, which is definitely not what I'm saying. But I, by the way, how fucking annoying are election texts? I just got one. Guys, I get texts in Pennsylvania and Florida. <laughs> I get like eight texts a day. It's so awful. Okay, anyway, I think that I don't feel bad for Christy because she, what she does, instead of just like helping her daughter, she abuses the situation. But that's what's happening. I don't think Sean comes in and like whispers in Jade's ear and Jade like had no intention of kicking them out. And then all of a sudden Sean shows up and so she decides to do it, which is how Christy is presenting it. And Christy's friend has the nerve to be like, she's going to put her own mother out on the street. And it's like, well, why doesn't Christy have anywhere to go? You know, Christy, well, okay. I deeply understand the cycle of poverty, how inaccessible housing is for so many people. While Chrissy probably can't rent her own apartment because she probably has evictions on her record and she absolutely does not have enough money for first, last, and security and to furnish a place. I don't think people realize, like, there are so many people that are technically homeless that, like, live in extended, say, hotels or crash with other people that have roofs over their head, but are technically without a home because they don't have a permanent address. And that is because they can afford to pay for a hotel every week, right? Like an extended stay type of place, but they can't save up for first, last, and security. So, or they have bad credit or they have evictions, so they can't rent an apartment. It's, re- it's really expensive to get into your own place and to sign your own lease. And you have to have a lot of money up front. And to be able to accumulate that much money, you know, if you have the $300 a week to spend on the hotel because you get paid every week and you live paycheck to paycheck, like that, you have to pay for that. But you don't have the ability to then save up $1,200 for 
your first month, $1,200 your last month, $500 for security. Like that's a shit ton of cash that you need at once. It's why moving is so expensive. And then you have to furnish a whole place. It's really hard to get into your own home. So I do want to acknowledge that. And I don't want to be like, well, why doesn't Christy have a place to go? Because like, (laughs) how could I say that I value Like, I have any of my values if I said that about Christy and her husband, whose name I absolutely do not know. I have zero idea what his name is. That's how little he speaks. (laughs) But at the same time, I'm curious why they don't have money for a hotel. You know, like, I'm curious why they can't get into an extended stay place, because as far as they say, they're not doing drugs. So why aren't they working at the home or at the restaurant that Jade's family owns. I wonder if the restaurant had shut. I think the restaurant closed like pre-COVID time. So I wonder if the restaurant had closed at that point. But like, why aren't Christy and her husband like working minimum wage jobs, at least enough to scrounge up money for a hotel on top of the fact that Christy is on MTV and getting paid to be on MTV for every episode that she's on. She's getting paid. She's getting a fee for every episode she's on. And of course, it's not getting paid weekly. But she was on last season. Last season was airing when they were filming this. So what did you do with that money? If it's not going to drugs and it's not going to a place to stay, like, where is that money going to? And so that's where I'm like, Chrissy, you need to get your shit together enough that you can at least, like, get yourself in a hotel to, like, situate yourself before trying to figure out your next move as You know, especially because Jade talks about the fact they sleep all day, they're up all night doing God knows what. The reality is that they do drugs, right? Like, they have no place to go because they do drugs. I'm like, where did the money go? What are they doing? No, they do drugs and they spend their money on drugs. And that's very clear. And I'm sure it's clear to Jade, (laughs) which is why she asked them to take a drug test. And that's how you know, because if Chrissy wasn't doing drugs, she theoretically would have enough money at least to get into a Motel 6 for a night. So that she's not literally without a place to go, which is what it sounds like. Chrissy is just such a user and she's so awful to Jade. And just the way they act is awful. They showed their room. It was disgusting. Oh my God. I wanted to scream. It was so fucking gross. They had food, like leftover food all over the place, like open leftover, like Chinese food, trash all over the floor. Oh, it was so fucking gross. And I just like, that's where I like have no empathy for Christy, like none. Because the reality is, is that Christy could live with Jade if she just pulled her weight. And if she was just like a better person, (laughs) if she helped with Chloe and kept a clean room and like did some chores around the house, I think Jade would let them live there for a long time. And the reason that they're getting thrown out is because of their own actions. So I don't really feel bad for them. Like when I saw that room, I gasped. Not that I've never seen a disgusting room before. I am a person that needs to live in a pretty clean space. I'm not a germ person and I'm fine with mess and like clutter. But when it comes to like cleanliness, I I need things to be clean you know, like I need things to be pretty clean uh, to feel okay. So when I saw that room, I was like really gross out. The stuff on the floor doesn't bother me so much, but like the left out food like that and the dishes that are like rotted, like that flips me out. And if I was giving somebody a place to stay and they came in my house and they treated my space like that, I'd be like, you got to go. 
This is my home. Why aren't you cleaning up after yourself? Why are you waking my daughter up in the middle of the night? What the fuck is wrong with you? (laughs) Which is what Jade says, basically. (laughs) So Jade and I are on the same page. And Jade's just going to have to learn that she can't let them in anymore. I wonder what it's going to take for her to stop giving them a spot. Ugh. I And I do feel j- bad for Jade because she is still young. She's like 23 or 24, I think. She does have a young kid. She does have a lot. She needs... Jade is really desperate for her family to be something it's not, I think. And she's going to keep learning this lesson. As I say, you're going to dry well for water, which is a line that I learned from the show Mad Men that I have like really deeply applied to my life. And what it means, obviously, is that you are going to a source, expecting something from it, knowing it cannot give it to you. So like I apply this especially with my dad. Like when I go to my dad and I expect him to have like this emotional like super supportive, like happy response to something like and he doesn't and then I get upset like that's on me because I'm going to a dry well expecting water because he is who he is and he's always been who he is and he's actually gotten significantly better in the last 15 years. Thank God. Like I'm very lucky for how far we've come. But he is who he is and he's just never going to be that person that's like, oh my God, Lizzie, I'm so excited. This is amazing. And yet, sometimes, not all the time, I've gotten a lot better with it. I will like go there and then be like, well, why aren't you giving me this support? Because he can't. He's incapable of doing it. This is a man in his 60s and he's just incapable of doing it because of his own fucked up childhood. (laughs) But like my mom can give me that and does give me that every time and is so excited and like cries over my grades because she's so happy for me. And like, so like if I want that response, I need to go to my mom. The reason that I go to my dad is because it's like, it doesn't feel as good coming from my mom because it's like, I know she'll do it. And so it's like, you're craving that thing from somebody I don't when somebody like doesn't give you something, somebody that you care about and love, like doesn't give you something. I understand that it's like you it's like you get used to it with the person that will give you that support and you just like desperately want it from this other person. But all that does is upset me. <laughs> I'm like my dad's not upset. <laughs> he doesn't even realize that I'm upset. He doesn't give it like he he has no feelings either way towards the way that I'm feeling in those situations. And so, and he is supportive and like, he is a good person. And like when, when shit happens to me, like my dad is the first person I call because he's very logistical. Like I love my mom so much. She's such an emotional support, but like for logistical stuff, like I call my dad and he's the one that has answers for everything. And he's the one that if he doesn't have answers, he finds answers for everything. And also he's the one that like can financially help me out and always does offer and is, I mean, I haven't needed him to help me out and years. But like I could call my dad right now and he could give me money. And first of all, I know what a privilege that is. (laughs) Please. Having a safety net is the difference between somebody who makes the same amount of money as me that has a safety net and a person that or a person that doesn't have a safety net that makes the same amount of money as me and a person that does have a safety net like me. We're living different lives, essentially. Make We can make the same amount of money and we are living different lives because I know like What's the worst that's going to happen? My dad's going to fix it. He'll figure it out. He'll bail me out. And I am hyper aware of that. And I really hate when people are like, 
my parents do well, but I'm so grateful for everything as a way to like minimize the fact that they're like spoiled and privileged. And so I try and have a more open dialogue about this because I think the way that we talk about money in America contributes to a lot of our poverty issues and our unequal system. And so I say this not to brag, but to just be fucking honest because you guys, every, I think people have the right to know that I live with a safety net because I, I hate that we encourage a society where people don't speak about the way that they got what they have. And so we are to assume about everybody that they are like, did this via work and hard work when it's not the truth for a lot of people or like a person that can be financially irresponsible because they have somebody that will bail them out. I'm so off topic. I don't know. I think that's important, though. I do. I really think that's important. I'm so fucking sick of people refusing to admit that they're rich or that their parents are rich. We do well. We're comfortable. That's my favorite. We're comfortable. It's like, okay, can you just say you're rich? It's fine. It's okay that you are. I know that you are. You know that you are. Why are we pretending that you're not? It doesn't make any sense. It's so, it, it, okay. Okay. How many times can I say okay? So back to Jade. She needs to stop going to her parents for support and then being upset when they don't give it to her. She's so desperate for them to be people that they are never going to be. Chrissy is never going to be reliable. She's never going to reliably watch Chloe. She's never going to be a good house guest. So stop expecting that of her because you're just, in the end, at the end of the day, Jade's the only one that's hurt because Chrissy's not hurt. Chrissy's pissed that she doesn't have a free place to live, but Chrissy doesn't give a fuck because if she gave a fuck, she'd be showing up, right? And she doesn't show up. And Jade cares so deeply. And so she's the one that's hurt in this situation. And if you don't put yourself in this situation, you can't get hurt. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's a really important life lesson that took me a really long time to learn that I still struggle with because I am human, that if you don't put yourself out there for certain things and have the expectation of something happening, you won't get hurt. And especially if it's something that's happened repeatedly and that people are who they are and they're not going to change because you want them to. I think that Jade feels like if she wants her parents to change enough that they will. And like, that's not going to happen. It's that's never going to happen. So she just needs to accept them as who they are and stop letting them live in her home. (laughs) Just stop. Stop letting them live in her home. So she texts them at night because they just ignored her all day and basically said, you have to get out. And Christy said, we have nowhere to go. And Jade, it's so funny. I actually wrote in my notes, like, this seems really tiring. And then like a minute later, Jade's like, nobody has any idea like how exhausted I am. And I'm like, I do. I get like Jade's life seems so exhausting. But once again, a lot of it is her own making. Like her life is hard because she's making it so hard because she's letting Sean come in and out because she's letting her parents come in and out. If her and Chloe like lived in a little one bedroom apartment and especially in Indiana where the rent is quite low, that house that they had before was $900 a month. She could go get a cheap little apartment, get a reliable sitter, you know, lean on her her other family, her extended family, her grandma, her aunts, her cousins, an appropriate amount, send Chloe to daycare. She could 
probably get by pretty well. And she, it would be, I think what Jade doesn't understand is that it would, I think for her, she's like, what she would say is that would be too hard. But I think what she doesn't understand is that like what she's doing now is actually the much harder path. It's kind of like being a drug addict. Oh, like the I, mentality is like it would be so much easier if I was high right now to deal with this situation, right? Like some you're upset and you would just like wish that you could numb your feelings out because you don't want to feel the way that you're feeling. But the reality is, is like it would actually be much harder if you were high because then you are an active drug addict. I'm talking about as a drug addict, not just as people who get high. Then you're an active drug addiction and your life is really fucking hard. So everything that you're going through is sometimes harder. And that's basically where Jade is. And I think that she needs to accept that the physically hard things, like being single and moving out and just having her and Chloe in a little space and doing the day-to-day by herself, will be emotionally easier than what she's dealing with now. When she started screaming at the end of this episode, like Jade, Sean went to rub her back and Jade's like, don't fucking touch me and like I'm gonna freak out I'm gonna freak out Jade's always saying that right like I'm about to lose my shit nobody gets it nobody knows how hard it is and she doesn't have to do that and I would like to tell Jade I would like to have a conversation with Jade and let her know that her life doesn't actually have to be this way and that it's only this way because of choices that she's making wow this is a long episode I just (laughs) still have a lot to talk about well People like long episodes, right? I wonder about if people like long episodes when I don't have a guest. I think people like long episodes when I have a guest and when it's solo. I don't know how much somebody likes a long episode. Okay, let's talk about Brie where it's Thanksgiving at Brie's house. Even though I'm pretty positive we're in January to February in a lot of these other scenes. Like, I think Kale and Brie are, well, are like towards the end of November, early December, like Breeze or Kale somewhere around there. I'm pretty sure that Leah, Chelsea, like I'm pretty sure a lot of them are in January. When was sis- her sister's baby born? I'm going to figure this out. Hold on. Okay. Victoria's baby was due or was born, according to Lee's Instagram, January 20th. <laughs> so we're all over the place on the timeline. It's okay. It's Thanksgiving at Bree's house. They moved into their new home. I'm a little upset that we didn't get a full house tour because I'm very curious about the layout. When she bought this house, there was people like found the layouts because they're, you know, like townhomes. They're, they, there's a layout that you choose and then they build it. And they posted and a lot of the options were three bedrooms. And I'm curious to know if Brie got a four bedroom. The reason that I think and people are like, well, why would they move into a three bedroom? Then Brie still has to share a room with the kids. And that's yeah, I agree. Why would you get a four bedroom or a three bedroom if that's the case? Um, because you can afford, seemingly afford to get the one bigger unit. But I think that they got the four bedroom because in this episode, Bree says something to Nova, like, why don't you go show your dad your room? And I feel like her saying like your room to me implies that Nova has a room that's her own, not our room. So I would like a house tour of Bree's home so that I can accurately assess the situation. (laughs) But the house looks great. I'm really happy for them to be out of that apartment. I am a person that doesn't care that they all live together. I think it's 
fine that they all live together. It really upsets some people, but it doesn't upset me. I think it's really incredible that Brie bought this house in cash. That was really smart of her. Really, really smart of her. And that she bought a townhouse that doesn't require a ton of upkeep and maintenance. And according to Brie, like, this is the home for her mom. She says, I bought this home for my mom. I'm planning on getting another home in the next couple of years. And my mom will be able to retire here. Uh, Roxanne has lupus. She's sick. She still works. But, you know, she has a chronic disease. She's chronically ill. And for Brie to be able to, like, give her a home, I think, is quite beautiful and lovely. And I think Roxanne deserves it. Is Roxanne a perfect mom? No. Is Roxanne a Trump supporter? Yes. Did you guys know that? That Roxanne's a Trump supporter? It's it's horrific. I don't even get don't even get me started on that. But I do think that that was really incredible of Brie to buy that house in cash basically to ensure that her mom will be able to live there forever. And all she'll have to pay is like the HOA fees and taxes which are not that high in Florida. You, it will still be a decent amount of money that she has to pay, but not having to pay a mortgage is a really huge deal. I also, I remember when she bought that house and a lot of people were saying like, it's actually not a good investment to buy a house in cash because interest rates are so low that it makes more sense to get the mortgage, pay on the low interest, and then put that money somewhere that makes more money. Free is not an investor, guys. Like, when I saw people say that, I was like, are you listening to yourself? (laughs) Are you hearing what you're saying? (laughs) Do you think that Brie went to a financial advisor and asked if she should pay a house in cash or if she should uh, invest that money somewhere else? She absolutely did not. Like, that is not the type of life that Brie lives. Brie has a lot of money now and probably won't have a lot of money in the future. And that paid off house gives her a lot of breathing room. And I think for her situation, it was the smartest thing that she could have done. Because if they lose the show, you know what I mean? If this show goes away, they're in that home. And all they have to pay is the HOA and property taxes, which they could definitely pay getting traditional jobs. Brittany works. Roxanne works. I think Brie still works. I think Brie still works her job. I'm not sure. I would imagine she maybe has quit by now. I think she's doing like eyelashes and stuff like that. But for Brie, it makes a lot more sense because her money is temporary, probably, right? Like once the show's over, Brie doesn't really have much of a personality. I don't really see Brie going on to um, like the extended reality TV life, which I think Kale will. Like I think Kale's going to be famous for quite a long time. And when I say famous, I mean like doing the reality TV circuit. Like, I think that will be Kale's life for quite a long time. And I don't think Brie really has that in her. She's not really interesting enough to do that. So for Brie to buy that house in cash is really incredible. So it's Thanksgiving. Roxanne invites (laughs) Devon's family without asking Brie. And Brie's pissed. And I agreed with Brie. And so did Brittany. I love when Brittany, like, tells Roxanne that she's wrong. (laughs) Bree's like, why would you do that? Like, I am stressed for moving. I thought we were just having like a little Thanksgiving. I just wanted it to be us. Now I'm going to be uncomfortable because even though like the family's been around not more, I don't really get along with them. I don't particularly like them. And I want to be comfortable my own Thanksgiving. And Roxanne's like, well, we have to. They're family. And they're like, Bree and Britt are both like, you know, you did not have to do that. 
you shouldn't have done it and you didn't have to do it. And I totally agree with them. I think Roxanne totally overstepped her boundaries there. I Even if it is technically Roxanne's house, like that's still people, that still involves Bree's daughter. So Bree should have the final say on that. And I, I didn't think it was right. I really felt bad for Bree in that moment. And I actually thought Bree handled it pretty well. So, which is important because it's not like she sat there and was like, fuck Devon's mom. I fucking hate her and don't want her in my house because she's a goddamn bitch, right? She was just like, I don't really want them here because I'm not that comfortable with them. And I just want this to be relaxing. So Thanksgiving comes and Devon and his family come over. Devon comes into the house. His two sisters come into the house and his dad comes into the house. It's really nice. Everybody's happy. Nova's like on cloud nine. Stellita, Stellita like runs right up to Devon as always and just like snuggles herself into him. Oh my God. I like, I can't help it. The two of them together just like make me melt. It's so cute. It's so cute. And they're having a fun time and it's, it's really nice. Except Bree's like, where's your mom? And he's like, she's in the car. And his mom sat in the car the entire dinner. At one point, Roxanne went out to smoke a cigarette and Roxanne talked to her and she told Roxanne that she was tired. She'd been up all night cooking and she wore high heels and her feet hurt. Brie at one point goes out and is just like, are you going to come in? And she goes, no. And Brie's like, oh, okay. She says it with an attitude, but then walks away. They don't have a fight at all. We don't actually hear what Devon's mom says. She's not mic'd up and Brie, I guess, was standing far enough away from her that we couldn't hear her. So I'm not sure exactly what Brie was responding to when she went, oh, okay, okay, uh, okay. And then she walks away. I don't, maybe Devon's mom said something nasty to her, which is why she then had that attitude. But in all fairness, that's all she said. And then she went back inside. Shirley comes over and she's like, she's like, Roxanne said, or Brie's like, his mom is sitting in the car and Shirley goes, that's who that is? Like, that's fucking weird because it is. It's really fucking weird. If she didn't want to go, she should have just went home. Now, here's what Devon says about this situation. Somebody tweeted, it's obvious that production did something that made Bria or that made Devon's mom upset by showing her Bree's clips. That's why she didn't go in. Something along those lines. And Devon like quote tweeted it and was like, finally, someone gets it. So I guess it's possible that production, like, as they got there, showed them footage of Brie saying she didn't want them to be there. And Devon's mom just, like, got upset about it and didn't want to be involved. And I I get that to an extent. But, I, like, unless they had something, on, like, on camera that they didn't show on this show, Brie has been pretty tame about what she said about Devon's mom. She talks about the fight that they had. She says that she doesn't like that she's been inconsistent and like she doesn't particularly like her or feel very comfortable with her but like it is what it is and she's allowing her to come around more. That's very honest and I think that if Devon's mom expects any other reception she's not living on planet earth. You can't like curse out a kid as a teenager you know and then just straight up ignore your granddaughter for eight years and be expected to be able to just waltz back in and everyone's like, hey girl, we love you. I can't remember what her name is. Sharice? I need her to be on screen a couple more times because I can't remember her name. But you, you can't expect that. And 
I wonder if that's what happened. But it's also very possible that Devon saw that and was like, yeah, I'm going to put this up because people are slamming my mom and I want to defend my mom. So I don't really know what happened there. I do think it's very weird. I think that she should have either taken the car and driven home and they all got an Uber back home or she should have gotten in an Uber and went home. I wonder how far away they live. They must live far. I would bet they probably live like far enough away that like going home and then coming back would be too long. I feel like MTV could have drove them home. I just think the act of actively sitting outside is very weird. And so I guess for that reason, I can believe that um, MTV showed them something because why would she even like get in the car and go? But I guess it's possible they were at family's house and then they stopped at Bree's house on the way home. Whatever it was, was just it was weird. It was fucking weird. And everybody that was on camera was like, this is fucking weird. But the family that went inside seemed like they had a really great time. Bree's house looked great when the kids were running around playing. I'm like, oh, that's so nice for them. They have the garage like with nothing in it yet. So they were just like riding around in the garage. They looked like they're having so much fun. Uh, Nova seemed to really like her aunts, Devon's sisters, Devon's dad was there. We didn't really see him at all. They just like at the end, they let it, they, we see like him on camera and they give him a Chiron with his name and, but we don't actually like see him interacting with anyone, but it seemed like it went really well. And I just don't really understand Devon's mom because I feel like either MTV did show her something that she was so mad about that she thought that she couldn't go in there and have like a a conversation about it without or like go in there and like see Brianna without flipping out I think if that's the case like I guess this is the most mature decision to just sit it out (laughs) and not go in there and scream fight and like I said if they live 30 45 an hour away like it's too long to get her home first or to take an uber although mtv should have paid for an uber for her to go home that's actually what should have happened mtv should have ordered her a fucking uber devon should have had mtv order her an uber and they get the tab but i I, like so i can believe that that happened and if that's what happened i guess this was a mature decision but if that's not what happened it's very weird. It's very, very weird. And I also kind of wonder why they wouldn't show us that if that's what happened. I think they would have told Brie, they would have like a producer would have stepped in. They wouldn't say it. They, okay. I think the way they would say it would be like, hey, Devon's mom is out there. We uh, were talking and just like, you know, getting ready and she flipped out and she doesn't want to come in because she heard what you said. Like, I think they would do that. I don't think they'd be like, hey, we tried to get Devon's mom mad at you and showed her footage and it fucking worked and she's not coming inside. But I think they would have spun it in a way because that actually kind of fits in perfectly with the way that Teen Mom 2 breaks the fourth wall, right? By the way, imagine if they never broke the fourth wall. That would be crazy. But I think the idea of like Devon's mom seeing footage and getting mad would really work well in this episode. So that's kind of why I don't believe that happened. Not that I think MTV shows everything. And if it was like super production driven, maybe they just didn't want to show it. But I think they would have. So yeah, it's weird. It's just weird. Okay, last but not least, Kale. Uh, we'll just talk like about this quickly. Kale is regrets moving to Middletown, which I will say, duh. <laughs> Kale says <laughs> it's too far of a drive back and forth, to which I say, duh. 
Kale says, doing it doesn't seem like it's far because it's 30 minutes, but like doing that drive every day is really hard. To which, once again, I say, no doy. I mean, that's what I said over and over again on this fucking podcast when we found out she bought that house. It made no sense for her to move there. She also is mad that Chris, that moving there didn't make Chris an active father suddenly. And she wants to move. I've seen a lot of hate for this online. And I know I've been defending Kale a lot this season because, like, my contrarian nature is kicking into overdrive that I feel like I need to defend somebody that's, like, really hated. It's not a great... It's, like, not devil's advocate because I I hate a person that's, like, devil's advocate and then, like, brings up a really shitty, uh, like, a really shitty thing. Like, somebody says really shitty, but, like, disguises it under the idea of them being a devil's advocate. Like, I fucking hate that. I think my contrary nature is that I feel frustrated that people are just trashing her without giving any consideration to the greater context of her life and her personality. And that for me, when I see that, I dig in harder to the context and find ways to defend her. So I just want to acknowledge that I know that I'm doing this, but I don't really know how to stop it. But I do know that I'm doing this. And if it's frustrating to you because you are like the number one kale hater, I think that's fair. (laughs) I think if I was listening to this, I'd be really frustrated, but I don't, I don't know how to fix it. So here we are. Here we are. (laughs) I think kale is right to move back. I think the fuck up was in moving to Middletown, which I said repeatedly, And I think the best thing that she can do for her family is to move them back. I've seen so many people talking shit about how the kids are so unstable when they're with Kale and all of this moving is so bad for them. And to that I say, huh? I think Leah's kids have moved around more. Chelsea just bought that house and she's going to have her kids in a new house, which also involves a new school district, by the way, because they're moving 45 minutes away from where they live. Aubrey's going to have to go to a new school. They're moving, like, within two years. They're moving so quickly. They just bought that fucking house. And now they're almost in the new house. It's almost finished. I think they're they're hoping to be in there by Christmas. So, oh, my God, is Aubrey going to be able to finish this school year? I didn't even think about that. I wonder if she goes to virtual school this year. She might be virtual. I feel like she's probably not. I feel like in South Dakota, they're probably in school. But I just don't think... Kale moves that much. Now she moves more than I would want to move because I hate moving. But we really haven't seen her since she moved to Delaware. As far as I can remember, her and Javi moved to a place in Delaware. They bought a home shortly after and lived there. And Isaac, I mean, uh, what's his face? Lincoln was a newborn and Isaac was like three years old, three or four years old, right? Like he was very young. And so Soon after that, they're in the house that they own. They're in that for a few years. And then they move to the house that Kale was living in for like the next five years. I don't really see the instability there as far as like moving. The houses were very close to each other. They never changed school districts. Like they really stayed uh, close. Somebody on Reddit said to me like, well, don't kids have neighborhood friends? Like I would be upset if I left my neighborhood friends. And to that I say fair point because I also had neighborhood friends. But I think overall, like, I don't think they've moved that much. I think there are kids that move a lot more. And the fact that they've always stayed in the same school district 
is a big part of this and the fact that their dads still live well Javi's moved around a little too but their dads still live in the same area that they were in I just don't think out of all the shit that Kale is doing to her children that this move to Middletown and then the move back is going to be that bad and is going to be the thing that upsets the kids the most doesn't ring true to me. I don't think as far as the houses go, she's that chaotic and unstable. But I will say the move to Middletown was. Absolutely. It was stupid. It was impulsive. She should not have done that. It was such a bad decision. To move her kids 30 minutes away from their school and their dads where they're going to have to go every day makes zero sense. To do that for your abusive boyfriend makes less than zero cents. And it was such a bad decision. Buying that house was one of the worst decisions she's ever made, as far as I'm concerned. It was so bad for her. So the idea of moving back, like, of course, correcting that, correcting the mistake, I think is good. (laughs) I think that's a good thing to move back. Like, it's not... I don't think that they should stay there simply out of this idea that children are like super harmed by moving. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I just don't think that it makes sense for Kale not to move back to Dover because the boys will have to move too much. I think that's stupid. I do. I think what happened happened. They're in that fucking house. We can't take that back. Kale can't go backwards, but she can correct that mistake. I also do understand that it is insane that she moved into that house in July and come December... (laughs) We're hearing her talk about moving for sure. That is crazy. That is, (laughs) it is insane. It's, it's insane to buy a $900,000 house and then within six months be like, I need to move out of here. (laughs) But that goes back to the fact that she should never move there in the first place. Like that's what this all is. It's all based on the fact that she is currently living in the mistake and she needs to course correct the mistake. She needs to live closer to the boys' schools. It does not make sense for her to live so far away from the boys' schools. It is making an issue with Joe and uh, Javi as far as drop-offs. Like things are getting complicated. Everybody's life is harder because Kale lives there and they should course correct that decision. She should accept that this was a mistake and not do this again and move back to Dover. And I just want to point out that like she hasn't moved yet. She moved in there July 2019. What was filmed was sometime late 2019, early 2020, sometime in there. And it is now essentially November 2020. So she's been in there for almost a year and a half. And according to her podcast, which I don't listen to, but I read Reddit comments about, she's planning on building a home and she hasn't even gotten land yet. And she's not totally sure where she's going to build the home. So if she hasn't even gotten land yet, they're not getting into that house for another year, at least, I would assume. So they're going to end up being in that house for like two and a half years. Like, I wouldn't be surprised. It's 2020 right now. If they didn't get into a house until early 2022. That feels crazy to say, 2022. But like we're almost in 2021 and they moved in 2019. So I think they're going to end up in that house for about three years, which is not something to sneeze at. Like it's not this like moving every minute thing that people are acting like she does because she doesn't do that. She up and this has been the most significant move she's made since she moved to Delaware. And 
all of the other moves that happened in Delaware were just to bigger, nicer homes in the same area that really didn't have any impact on the children's lives as far as we know. So I need everybody to stop with this like Kale's constantly moving thing because it's not accurate. And while I do acknowledge how insane it seems to see this scene where she's talking that she's going to look at new houses and trying to buy a new house, the fact that she could put an offer on that house without even like going through any motions to sell the Middletown house, that that actually surprised me because I think Kale spends a lot. So I was pretty surprised to see that that was an option for her because I'm pretty sure they didn't sell the old Dover house and she was running it out. So she's going to carry three mortgages? (laughs) Kale can afford that? Like, they make a lot of money, but that much money? I don't know. I think that she needs to correct this decision. And if that means moving quickly afterwards, yes. And in my opinion, she has now been in that house too long. (laughs) I would have liked for her in January 2020 to move back to Dover so the kids would be in Dover now. (laughs) I think that, I mean, I guess luckily, and she probably felt less... Like, it had to happen when, one, she got pregnant. Well, a lot happened, I'm sure. She got pregnant, so she was convinced that Chris would be around more again for some idiotic reason, because Kale's even worse than Jade when it comes to expecting uh, water from the dry well. I don't need to repeat that all, but it absolutely applies to Kale and Chris. And the idea that she thought that moving to Middletown, because it's in between Dover and Wilmington, that Chris would see the kid. And that the only reason he doesn't see the kid is because she lived too far away is idiotic. It It's so stupid. But I would guess getting pregnant with another kid by Chris made her desperate once again to have her family with Chris for whatever reason that I cannot wrap my head around. And she decided to stay. She didn't want to move while pregnant, probably. And then, you know, uh, COVID happened. And so the boys probably went virtual school in March and they may still be in virtual school now. So she doesn't feel she's not driving back every day that she has them for school. So I don't know. Also, she lets us know that her and Javi are fine. By the way, Lauren supposedly broke up with Javi. But I mean, let me know in six months if Lauren and Javi are together. You know, like that's important to me. Right now I'm like, okay, maybe. Lauren's left before and come back. I hope she leaves them for good. All right, that's all our Teen Mom 2 girls. Let me just talk about the 16 Pregnant episode. As I said, I remember almost no one's name. The main girl's Madison, which I believe, or Maddie, because the first week's girl was went by Madison, so they're calling her Maddie in this episode, even though I did notice her mom called her Madison multiple times, but I guess they can't have two Madisons in one season because the way they title these shows is by their names, so... I guess they didn't want to put like Maddie K and Maddie L, you know what I mean, like The Bachelor style, which is a reason I can't fuck with The Bachelor. Too many names that are all the same. But Maddie lives in Texas. She has a boyfriend that she has, that has cheated on her, that doesn't have a job, and they're pregnant. I didn't catch exactly how old she was, but they looked, I think she was 17 because they talk about, she talks with her friends at one point about like dropping out of school and her friend's like how many credits do you have left and she's like no you need to understand like I didn't go to school before this (laughs) and her friend's like oh yeah like junior year you weren't there a lot and she's like no like ever like I didn't go to high school (laughs) 
So I'm guessing she's around 17, 18. I'm sure it was at the beginning of the episode, but I'm an idiot that didn't take notes. Okay. So Madison has her boyfriend, Maddie. This is going to fuck me up. Maddie has her boyfriend, and Maddie's life is really weird and dramatic. And I don't think they emphasized enough how bad Maddie's life is by herself and her own issues and her family's issues. And they really only focused on the mom hating the boyfriend and being racist towards him. Which, yeah, I get why they wanted to focus on that. But I think it actually does a disservice to the boyfriend. I think it gives him an unfair picture because it's easy. Basically, her boyfriend is black and her mom is white. She's white and her mom says a lot of weird racist shit about him. She doesn't want him to come around the house because she thinks he's going to steal. MTV put up a fucking screen that was like how to talk to your family about implicit bias and racism, which I don't think I've ever seen them, at least on Teen Mom, put up. It's good that they put it up, I guess, and that they were acknowledging that it was happening. But she says a lot of racist shit. She's like, he's a criminal. He is awful. But I think where they went wrong was Maddie seems to be really bad. (laughs) Maddie seems to be really, really bad, and her mom seems to be a fucking mess. So when we come to meet them, they are living in... Oh my god, I have to find out his name. I'm sorry, hold on. I don't know why I say hold on. You're not holding on. I press pause and then come back. Corey. His name is Corey. Okay, so at the time that we meet them, Maddie and Corey are living in his mom's one-bedroom apartment. And I was like, what? Because apparently... Maddie and her mom got into a huge fight at one point. So Maddie moved out and moved into Corey's apartment. And that's when she got pregnant. That was a real twist to me. (laughs) I was like, oh, so she already was not living in her parents' home and was having major behavioral issues. Or, I don't know, maybe just like having major family issues. But it seemed like behavioral issues. Her mom lets us know that she hated Corey because all he did was smoke pot and all she did was smoke pot and that Corey cheated on her. According to Maddie, uh, Corey has totally changed. He's doing better, but he is on probation for weed. He got caught with weed, which, I mean, that's a whole conversation itself, right, about racism. But he gets caught with weed and he gets put on probation and apparently violated his probation six times by failing drug tests. <laughs> Which at that point, I'm like back to like a Jade thing. You know, it's like, Corey, come on, just stop smoking weed. Maybe he's addicted to weed and he can't stop. That's probably what it is because I don't know if I would have ever been able to stop. But the fact that he like repeatedly was failing and not for bullshit reasons, you know, not like he got dinged for like being late to a meeting with his PO, like just for straight up ignoring the rules and continuing to smoke pot. And yes, pot should be legal. And yes, uh... Black and Latinx people, but especially black men, are arrested for drug rates at an astronomically higher rate than white people who do the same amount of drugs as them. The fact that we arrest people at all for pot is so fucking stupid. It needs to be legalized federally. But that was the reality of his situation. And he just made his life continuously harder for himself by repeatedly failing his drug tests. So the mom hates him. The mom thinks he is awful but it seems like the issue is really Maddie and her mom and I can't figure out why they're not telling us more about that because like Maddie and her mom got into a bad fight that 16 or 17 year old Maddie moved in with her boyfriend 
like that's that seems like a a thing that should have been discussed more so apparently at one point (laughs) maddie's mom crystal got into a fight with Corey via text and she said that something about Corey's crackhead mom (sighs) Corey's mom i guess is in recovery Uh, She did not seem to be intoxicated at all in this episode, but at first I was like, oh, I wonder if she was just calling her a crackhead because she's black. But then Corey says something like, you shouldn't use people's pasts against them. And I was like, oh, well, maybe she was a former addict, which makes it just as shitty for (laughs) Crystal to say that. Like, I'm not saying like, oh, well, that made sense. But I think it is probably just an interesting tidbit that his mom is in recovery. And she actually, I would say Corey's mom is the most sane and stable person that we saw this whole episode. Every time she's on screen, she's super nice. She, like, does not hold any ill will towards Crystal. She's totally willing to just, like, leave it outside and have everybody get along. She's really active during the birth. I really, really liked Corey's mom, actually. I thought it was kind of crazy that she was letting Corey and Maddie live in her living room. But, you know, I thought I liked her. Uh, We met Corey's sister, too. I believe that was Corey's sister. She seemed really nice. Corey's an asshole. Like, because this is 16 and pregnant, and there have been maybe one or two good dads on 16 and pregnant, he's an asshole. He doesn't work, really. Uh, They don't have a place to live. It's hard for him to get a job. He cheats on Maddie. Like, it's, he's awful because this is 16 and pregnant. And the thing that I can never understand about 16 and pregnant, I mean, I can understand it's impulsive decisions and socioeconomic stuff, but like so many of these kids get pregnant without having a job or a place to live, which I guess makes sense because most 16 year olds don't have a job or their own place to live. But ooh, it's, it's hard. It's hard to watch these like over and over again on these episodes, like them talk about how they don't have anywhere to live and no money because it's like, so don't have a baby. Don't. Like, I'm not, it's whatever that you got pregnant. Like, okay, fine. But don't bring a baby into this that you are acknowledging is a terrible situation. So Maddie wants to move back to her mom's because she just doesn't have any privacy at Corey's mom's house, which is totally reasonable. She's like, I want to be able to breastfeed. I won't feel comfortable. So Maddie's mom, Crystal, who, by the way, is important to note, has uh, four children with four fathers because I guess Corey you know, threw that in her face after she threw Corey's mom's stuff in his face. So she, for her to be judging Corey so much is really, like, the reason it's racist is because she only seems to have a problem with Corey doing all of this stuff and doesn't seem to have any issue. Like, she's like, he's a criminal. He's a drug addict. He's a thug. I don't know if she used thug, but like that about him over and over again and not being like, well, Maddie also smokes pot. Maddie also apparently dropped out of school when she was 16. Maddie apparently just, like, never went to high school. That's why it's racist, because she is just focusing on uh, Corey. She goes out to – she talks with Maddie at one point, and she says, I don't trust him to come in the home because he's a criminal. And Maddie's like, what are you talking about? It's for weed, for smoking weed. And she goes, well, that leads to a lot of things. I'm surprised that Maddie didn't just say, is it because he's black? She should have, but she didn't. But it's so obvious that that's what it is. And she actually does imply that because she says, how come you're fine with all of my brother's friends coming around? Like, you don't know if they steal or not. Why is it just an issue with Corey? And her defense is, 
Corey's a criminal. Corey's a criminal. Corey's a criminal. He's going to steal from us. I hate him. Crystal's just nasty. She is a nasty woman. She is racist and she's mean. And I'm not saying she needs to like Corey because as I just acknowledged, like Corey is not a good person. Well, I don't want to speak like to his character, but (laughs) as far as like being a competent provider, father, boyfriend, like not good. Typical, typical succeeding and pregnant shit, right? So it's not unreasonable that she doesn't want her daughter to have a kid with this kid. It's not unreasonable that she doesn't want somebody that doesn't have a job just living in her house. Like that, that's reasonable. Like you have to have a job to live here. That's totally fine. The issue is, is all the racist shit she says along with it. Things like, well, he's going to steal from us and she won't acknowledge like that his arrest for smoking pot does not mean anything else except that he got arrested for smoking pot and that he's an idiot for continuing to smoke pot, but that doesn't make him a criminal. It doesn't mean that he's going to steal. And just the way that she acts about him is just really gross. It's really, really gross. And I was glad that MTV threw up that title card thing because I was glad that I guess that MTV was acknowledging it because it was just so gross. And it's like, so it's fine that your daughter is a dropout with no job and smokes weed, but it's not because she didn't get arrested. It's not okay for him. It's just getting arrested. That is the issue. No, it's because he's black. So they move into Crystal's house, which it's once again, it's like, why are you bringing a baby into this world when you do not have a place to live? Because Crystal's house is not going to last long because she hates Corey. She openly hates Corey. I was actually pretty surprised she let them move in, but she does. And they have a baby shower of which Corey wants to be part of the whole thing. Crystal's really mad at it. Like Crystal and Corey are fighting at the baby shower. Then Maddie is fighting with Corey. It was, it was not great. It was just not great. (laughs) So then we see Maddie give birth. This was... Maddie decides she want to have a natural birth at a birthing center with a midwife. And I say, go you. That's amazing. I'm not sure she quite knew what she was signing up for. In in reality, like, how can you, if you've never given birth, like, how can you know what the pain is going to be like? You absolutely cannot. But I think that she, I don't know. I think that she, like, decided that she wanted to do this and then didn't really... I don't know. That's not right because she has a doula. Like she se- she seems to be really into this and wants to do this, but it's really hard for her. Oh my god. I they left so much in. By the way, one of the reasons she says that she wants to do this is because Corey Corey's mom and my mom will be able to be involved. So I was like, is this COVID times? Like is COVID happening right now? I I don't know. I'm confused. Cuz why wouldn't they be able to help in the hospital? Doesn't make any sense. But, oh, God, her birthing scene is, they show a lot of it. It's very intimate, very intimate. She is screaming on the top of her lungs. I don't mean like she's yelling. I mean primal screaming. She is in so much pain. She cannot handle it. Well, she does handle it. She lives and has a baby. So she did handle it. But she is in terrible pain. They're, like, moving her from the bed to the bathtub And then as she pushes her daughter out, she is screaming on the top of her lungs, get her out of me. (laughs) I don't mean to laugh, but it was like, it was upsetting. As like, not because, 
not because I'm like, ew, birth is gross, but it was just like, it was distressing, I guess is a good word for it, to see somebody in so much pain. And like, it felt, honestly, it felt too intimate to watch. It felt too personal. Like, I think it's good that MTV showed a natural, natural is not a drug-free childbirth. Natural is not the correct word because having a C-section is natural too. And having epidurals is natural. Having a baby, like, we don't need to separate it. But a drug-free, midwife-assisted, birthing center birth. I think that's great. I think that's positive. I think that's important. But I, it just felt so intimate watching her in the tub. Like, she had a bra on, but, like, was naked, obviously, from the waist down. Like, we saw a lot. Like, obviously, we didn't see her vagina or, like, the baby crowning. But it was, it really felt very personal in a way that I don't think they usually show on 16 and Pregnant or Teen Mom. And it was distressing. It was distressing to watch. But the baby is born. I can't, let me look at this baby's name. I can't remember it. Okay, the baby's name was not easily findable. It wasn't in like the first three links I clicked by that. I mean, so they have their baby. The baby is cute. That is a cute little baby. And Corey gets a job and like things are going kind of okay. He's washing dishes. Then COVID happens and he loses his job. And her mom is really pissed and wants him to go out and get a job. But he can't because he was working in a restaurant. And then mom comes home and says that, he smells, Corey smells like weed and she flips out and moves out of the house. He moves, kicks him out of the house. But then we get a weird twist. Well, he moved into his brother's and there's just no room for him there, for her there. So I guess he told Maddie that he wouldn't be with her if she continued living in that home, which like I'm guessing is about racism, right? Like I wonder if he was like, if you continue to be with your racist mom like I can I cannot be with you I think that's an acceptable situation if it was just like a control thing that that's not an acceptable situation I don't know I thought it was a weird without seeing the context of the fight right like without hearing the fight without hearing Corey's side of the fight without even hearing Crystal's side of the fight really like just hearing Maddie tell it I'm like why but apparently Corey tells Maddie that he will not be with her unless she moves out. So she moves into her aunt's house. <sighs> oh, God. It's such a mess. It's such a mess, these two. Like, these two should not have had a baby. I mean, that's that's what 16 and Pregnant should be called, right? Like, these kids should not have had a baby. At least in the first week, like, she had that strong support network that was willing to build her a tiny home and, like, pay for her and give her support. But 99% of these people should not be having a baby because they have nowhere to live, no money to feed it. The guy they're with doesn't do shit. But uh, the episode ends with them getting into their own apartment, which they got via unemployment because I guess he got approved for unemployment and was probably, you know, getting a decent amount with that extra 600 And they get into their own apartment and it ends at their own apartment, which like, all's well, that's ends well. <laughs> I don't know. Her mom was just so shitty. She was so awful. And a woman that has four kids by four men to call somebody else a crackhead has has a lot of nerve. A lot of nerve. Don't throw stones, lady. It's so, so I felt bad for Corey a lot in this episode because of the way that he was being treated by Crystal's mom. But I do want to make it known that he was a dud, just like almost all of the fathers on this show. He didn't have a job. He didn't take care of the baby once the baby was there. He rarely helped. He played video games. 
Uh, so that's it. This is a long ass episode. Holy shit. Wow. Okay. Anyway, I hope you guys enjoyed it. If you made it to the end, I will talk to you next week. Bye. This podcast is brought to you by Solid Listen Network. Find me on Instagram at feathers underscore pod.